0: The views expressed by our podcast guests are their own and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Federal Home Loan Bank of Dallas. Welcome to Bankcast, a podcast from the Federal Home Loan Bank of Dallas. We are here again to talk about housing and mortgage with Rick Sharga, Executive Vice President at Realty Track. Welcome, Rick.
1: Thank you, Carrie. Great to be here.
0: So we've had some good news recently with the ramp up of the COVID-19 vaccines and the nationwide decrease in infections. I wanted to hear from you a little bit about what you think the impact of that will be on the housing market. Well, the one
1: thing I can tell you with certainty is that whatever we guess is going to happen is probably going to be wrong because uh, I don't think anybody forecast the kind of housing market boom we had last year uh, after the pandemic was declared. Uh, but but I think the, the the most positive thing that can probably come out of the, the number of vaccinations we've seen and the the drop off in infection rates when it comes to housing, is that we're likely to see more inventory come to market, and that's desperately desperately needed. We have far more demand than we have supply, and research has suggested that a lot of people have been reluctant to put their properties on the market during the pandemic for for health reasons. The other reason I think we might see more inventory come to market is as the economy recovers, uh, we're seeing more young adults leaving home and and forming their own households, which should give their parents the opportunity now to sell off some of these bigger properties and and probably downsize, something a lot of older homeowners have probably been waiting to do, uh, but unable to do so because they've needed the space. So I'm really hopeful that more vaccines, lower infection rates will equal more homes on the market
0: you think now that we're more than a year into the pandemic that the forecasts for housing going forward will be more on target than what they have been?
1: I think it's probably fair to expect that the balance of 2021 will be really hard to gauge statistically. I, I think by the time we get to 2022, we'll be settling back into a more normal cycle. But keep in mind that 2020 was a very, very bizarre year in terms of how home sales occurred. Typically, we have growth in In the first quarter, strong summers, and then a drop off in the fall and winter. Last year, we had exactly the opposite. So the numbers we're going to see for the rest of this year are going to be skewed by last year's numbers and open to a lot of misinterpretation. It might look like weakness in the housing market when in fact, it's just a return to normal. I think this year's statistics are going to be a little fuzzy, but by the time we get into 2022, we'll be able to more accurately forecast what's going on based on historically normal patterns.
0: We always talk a lot about millennials driving the market. And of course, they do have an outsized impact. But it seems like lately, we've been hearing more about the boomers. Would you talk a little bit more about why that is
1: well, one of the big impacts boomers have had recently on the market is they age in place. And the average length somebody's staying in a, in a house today is over 11 years. That's about twice as high as it was just a decade ago. And that's had some serious implications in terms of what kind of supply of existing homes are available for sale. That was hard to forecast because the boomer generation has behaved very differently from a housing perspective as it's aged. We're, one of the areas we are seeing growth in is, active senior communities, 55 plus age for, for homeowners. And, and that, of course, largely consists of boomers. The boomer generation is still the second largest generation in, in U.S. history. So they do also have an outsized impact. I think the generation that gets lost in all this is Gen X. Gen X had the highest homeownership rates during the last housing boom, really was, was disproportionately impacted by the foreclosure wave, highest rate of foreclosure problems of any of the generations. And it's taken them almost like, last decade to get back into a home ownership. But the Gen X group is approaching prime age for repurchase or for trade-up moves. So you have the millennials with the, the largest group of millennials approaching the, the age for first-time home buyership, and Gen X with a huge number of people approaching that second home purchase. So I, I think demographics continue to drive this and it's hard to single any one age cohort as, as being the primary driver. But bottom line is uh, we'll, we'll continue to see, I, I believe, Strong demand for housing from all these groups over the next few years.
0: And obviously, all of those groups are affected by housing prices, which were up 13% over a year ago, pricing, which just seems phenomenal how long can that be sustained? And does that concern you?
1: Yeah, I get asked a lot about whether we're in a housing bubble for obvious reasons, as we see home prices escalate. I don't believe we are. But if we continue to see year over year price increases of 12, 13, 14, 15 percent, we're not going to be out of a bubble for much longer. What's mitigated the home price increase is that wages have not gone down. They've they've actually been going up even during the pandemic. The people buying houses have seen their wages go up a little bit, and we're dealing with historically low interest rates that are about half of what they were during the last housing boom. So the affordability isn't as bad as you would expect, given the fact that home prices have gone up as fast as they as they have. The other factor at play here, Kerry, is that first time home buying is. Probably at the low end of where it, it normally is historically. It's in the say thirty to thirty-three percent range when normally it's it's more in the mid thirties. So a lot of the people that are buying these expensive houses are trading in, you know, the house they bought last time, which has also escalated in price. So they're able to put down a pretty healthy down payment. And because of that, we're not seeing the kind of really bad lending that led to the the housing bust the last time. So we're not in a bubble yet. Affordability is now starting to get challenged, particularly in some of the higher price markets across the country.
0: Is there any good news for the first time? Home buyer, obviously, they tend to come into the market at the lower price points. And those lower price points aren't very low anymore.
1: Well, I, I guess there are a couple potential silver linings in, in the price clouds that we're talking about. First time home buyers have probably the, the widest choice of high quality, low down payment uh, loan products available that we've ever had. These are not the subprime loans where you could get a negative amortization loan or a 0% down loan when you had no discernible income. But for a quality Qualified bar where you can get a property with a three percent down loan through Fannie and Freddie. You know the FHA loans at three and a half percent down. So there there are a lot of loan products out there that take a little bit of the sting out of the down payment. The other factor that, that the pandemic has actually uh, delivered that that benefits first time home buyers is the work from home phenomenon. So now it's not as necessary for every first time home buyer to buy that property near their place of employment. So we're seeing a move into the the far suburbs and even into rural areas where land tends to be cheaper and properties tend to be a little bit cheaper. And that's one of the things that's driving the the new home sales market is people moving further and further out of those urban areas. As properties re-enter the market as people start to put their existing homes back out for sale, you'll see some of the people in the entry-level property start to move up, which will free up some of that inventory for first-timers as well. So it all does come down to inventory, supply and demand. And and I do believe the trends we're seeing suggest we'll see a little bit more entry-level supply entering the market in the coming months.
0: Very interesting trend, definitely to keep an eye on. Kind of in a related question, we've been hearing some Anecdotal concerns about the high cost of lumber and housing construction supplies, even to the point of some developers saying that they're putting a hold on projects because of that. Any idea when you when builders might see some relief from the high prices?
1: I could give you a prediction on that, but I'm saving it for uh, the book I'm publishing. that I'll sell <laughs> billions of copies of so I can retire and buy an island in the Caribbean. No, the the, the supply chain is, when it comes to builders right now is in utter chaos. Lumber, obviously. Obviously is probably the most highly publicized issue. I believe we're dealing with lumber prices that are four times higher than they were a year ago. And, and estimates from various sources suggest that's increasing the cost of home building by as much as 25 to 33%, depending on the type of home and where exactly you are. No, I don't have any insight into that. The hope everybody has is that we'll start to see those prices come down. But I, I believe it's probably not going to get much better for the rest of this year just because of how backed up and in chaos the, the supply chains are. But again, not just lumber. It's other building materials, it's appliances, it's a variety of things. And builders are also faced with a labor shortage. All of that is providing headwinds to the industry they really don't need. The, the number of lots is also limited. and And there's a lot of regulatory hurdles they have to jump through. So The fact that we're seeing any positive news when it comes to to building permits and housing starts is almost a surprise, but it's definitely a pleasant surprise. It's definitely something we need.
0: I want to go back to something you said earlier about the variety of lending products that are out there and the low down payment options. What are the risks of the market for banks and credit unions involved in mortgage lending, especially if it turns out that we are in a housing bubble and valuations, you know, take a dive?
1: Yeah, that's a great question, Carrie. There are some risks involved in lending. And when you're in a boom market like the one we're in today, it certainly, is probably bringing back uh, nightmares for anybody who lived through the boom and bust cycle in the early 2000s. I, I would submit that this is a very different cycle. The the price increases are driven largely by supply and demand. I, I'd also point out that the the huge fall off we had in valuations, about 35% nationally, uh, in some states, 50, 60%. Uh, interestingly, where you are in, in Dallas, uh, not hit nearly as hard during the, the boom and bust. But that significant kind of drop has happened exactly once in U.S history. And given current market dynamics, the likelihood of us seeing something like that again isn't really strong. Keep in mind that some of the factors that drove this last time were that the new home builders, who we just talked about, had actually overbuilt. So they had vacant inventory anticipating continued demand. The demand dried up and the builders were suddenly faced with a lot of stock that they had to sell at distressed prices. That had a, a deflationary effect on the market. And then a lot of those bad loans came home to roost. So we had a record number of foreclosures about. 6 million of those. And, and those properties sold at fire sale prices, which, which further uh, created declines. So if the if the question is, uh, should lenders be worried and, and being very risk averse based on the, the probability that we're going to see a huge drop off in prices? I would say the answer is probably no. Could we see some market corrections from market to market in, in places that have kind of overshot the price ranges? Yeah, we could. Coastal California, Seattle, uh, might be some markets in, in Texas. Uh, Austin comes to mind, particularly at the high end of the market market, we, we could see some price corrections. But you know the risk really has been managed very well by the lending community since the Great Recession. Prior to the pandemic, uh, we were running at delinquency rates that were lower than historic normals and added foreclosure activity that was running at about half of normal levels. So the loan quality was extraordinary. And I think coming out of the pandemic we will probably continue to see the same thing.
0: The federal eviction protection that was instituted during the pandemic is scheduled to end this month. Do you think that will have any potential impact on the market?
1: The foreclosure moratorium, the uh, eviction ban, the forbearance program that was part of the CARES Act have all had an impact on the market. I I think it's been remarkable when it comes to the foreclosure moratorium and the forbearance program, how well the industry and the government have worked together this cycle. That's one of the other big differences from the last cycle. People got out in front of the problem this time and tried to prevent wholesale fallout in the market, which by and large, they really have done. Forbearance program, great example in that almost 90 percent of the people who have exited the program as long ago as last June and up until the current month have done so successfully. And that's far better rate than, than people had anticipated. When the eviction ban ends, if we're talking specifically about the, the rental market, which is really what the CDC ban was focused on, I am among the probably minority of people who don't believe we're going to see uh, you know a wholesale batch of evictions coast to coast and people tossed out on the streets. There's $45 billion in federal funds that have been earmarked to pay back rent I, Don't think there's been a lot of incentive for tenants to apply for those funds so far because they've been protected by the eviction ban. But I think the fact that that's about to expire might stimulate some of those folks to to raise their hand and and ask for that money so they can pay the back rent. $45 billion may not pay 100% of what's owed to, to landlords, but I guess it's a really good start. So I personally believe the bans are going to be extended a bit. In fact, FHFA just announced that they're extending the ban on multifamily property evictions through the end of September. I would not be at all surprised to see these other programs extended through the end of September. But I do believe the industry has been working really, really well with borrowers. And and I expect really pretty much a soft landing when these programs expire.
0: What role is the investor playing mm-hmm. in the current market?
1: That's the the, the investor role in today's market. I, I think probably suffers from a little bit of hyperbole. Investors typically buy somewhere in the neighborhood of ten to twelve percent of of all residential properties that are sold over the course of a year. That number is inflated a little bit right now, depending on whose numbers you're looking at. It's somewhere in the neighborhood of fifteen percent. I've seen some reports as high as twenty percent, but I, I can't get those numbers to work based on our data. At, at Adam Data Solutions, so are th- are they keeping first time buyers out of the market? No, not necessarily. I, I think I think a lot of what the investors are buying right now are properties that are being sold by other investors. We have ninety percent of single family rental units across the country that are owned by mom and pop investors, people who own between one and ten properties. A lot of them are very highly leveraged, and a lot of them are having trouble making ends meet because their tenants aren't paying them because of the eviction bans. So, anecdotally, at least, we've we've seen a number. Of markets where those those types of small investors are selling off some of their assets in order to make ends meet, and those properties are being gobbled up by other investors who, who have that kind of buy and hold mentality. So investors definitely are playing a role in the market. They're competing at a time where again there's there's limited supply and a lot of demand from traditional home buyers. I don't think investors are typically outbidding. Home buyers, because if you're an investor, you're trying to buy at the lowest possible price rather than the highest possible price in order to make a return on investment. But the fact that they're in the mix is probably having a net impact of, of raising prices for everybody.
0: What do you think about Fannie Mae's home buyer sentiment survey turning negative? Do you see that as directly related to the low inventory?
1: I think the, the reason we've seen the Fannie Mae index go negative, and again, that is the first time in at least recent memory, if not in history, is tied directly into the, the limited supply of properties available. It's really, really hard for somebody coming into the market today, particularly in some of the hotter metro areas, to find anything to buy. And then when they do find something to buy, they're, they're competing on a price basis and affordability becomes an issue. This is the lowest supply of homes available for sale in the history of as long as this data has been tracked. And if you look at the data from the National Association of Home Builders, also the lowest supply of new homes for sale, a startlingly high percentage of new home sales are being done before the property has even had ground broken on construction. If you're a prospective home buyer trying to come into the market, a lack of availability and, and escalating prices have got to be very depressing. And, and I suspect that's really the root cause for the, the negative view from Danny Mae survey participants.
0: As we get ready to kind of wrap things up, is there anything, else? else that comes to mind, Rick, on the housing market or mortgage trends that we haven't talked about?
1: I would uh, encourage people to to not be too worried about a a second wave of of massive foreclosure activity as we exit the pandemic, as the government uh, protection programs expire. Again, I, I think what we've seen to date suggests that really a, a fairly small percentage of people in, in the forbearance program are going to be highly vulnerable. And and servicers have a lot of tools at their disposal, really using the, the, the protocol that was established by that the HAMP program back during the last crisis to help any borrowers who are in financial distress. And then the what we talked about in terms of limited supply and, and very strong demand for housing also plays to the benefit of, of any homeowners who do happen to find themselves in financial distress when these programs expire. Simply because there's a ready market to buy these properties, and again, something that didn't exist during the Great Recession. If anybody who's listening to the podcast is a bit concerned about a second wave of foreclosures, the the, the data, the math, the market dynamics would all weigh against us seeing that. We'll, we'll definitely see a little bit of an increase in default activity, but we shouldn't see anything like what we saw last time.
0: Rick, as we wrap up the podcast, tell us how our listeners can access your offerings.
1: Yeah, Carrie, thanks for asking that question. Realty Track REA ltytrac.com. Uh, there's a blog that we publish information regularly. We also do webinars probably six or seven times a year on various investment and, and real estate topics. Uh, and certainly people are, are welcome to follow me on Twitter or, or LinkedIn, Rick Sharga on LinkedIn or, or Twitter. And I post information like what we're talking about today pretty regularly.
0: Well, that's it for this edition of Bankcast. Thanks for listening.